If you have a Bible, go to the book of Matthew, Matthew 2. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, it is page 807. Um, What we've been doing in this Christmas, this Advent uh, sermon series, is we've been looking at different Christmas carols, and what's the theology behind them? What are these songs teaching? Uh, This is arguably, the one that we're going to talk about today, is arguably the the most famous of all Christmas songs. It was the one we just sang, Joy to the World. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote this song. Uh, It first appeared in his hymnal of 1719, so it's been around for a while. The original title, though, of the song was The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom, and then it it got reworked and different uh, uh, music got set to it, and then it it became known as uh, Joy uh, to the World. And we have an abbreviated sermon on this today. and so we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's, it's really important that we do talk a little bit about it. What this song teaches is really based on a lot of the, the Christmas narrative, obviously, found in Matthew. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, uh, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to launch right into our abbreviated sermon for today. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who, was been born, who has been born of the Jews, born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judea, or Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent, to them to Be- he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, for that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they saw the star. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, we've just read the story that no doubt many of us have read or heard hundreds of times in our lives. Lord, I pray that that familiarity would not cloud our understanding, appreciation, or awe of this story. And thank you that it's a true story. Thank you that our hope is in this. Thank you that we can have joy. Just like these wise men, the Magi, when they found the Christ child, they were filled with joy. 
And I pray that as we look at the theology behind this familiar Christmas song, that it's helpful to us and that it moves us to worship you. God, we pray you'd remove distractions, and I pray that I'd be able to communicate in a way that is helpful, but most, most importantly, that is accurate to the text and is honoring to you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. There's really two main reasons that the song Joy to the World communicates about why we should rejoice. And the first one is this. It's rejoice, joy to the world, Jesus reigns. Joy to the world, Jesus reigns. If you happen to pick up a handout, you'll see that the, the lyrics to the song uh, are, are on the side of that. If not, maybe you want to grab the hymn book and, and look up the song. You can look at it as well. But here it says in verse 1 of joy to the world, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And then in verse 2, it talks about the Savior reigns. And then in verse 4, he reigns rules the world. So really, joy to the world, the first thing that this song is communicating is saying, receive your king. Receive your king. And and didn't we see this in Matthew chapter 2, where it said in verse 6, from you, talking about the prophecy about Bethlehem, from you shall come what? A ruler. And so really, the message of Christmas is rejoice because you have a king. You have someone that is coming to reign. Joy to the world, Jesus reigns. So the first thing is to receive your king. And that's not just something that is around only the holidays. It is actually for our entire lives. Philippians chapter 2 says this, So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this Christmas season, receive your king. One day the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the the goal is, is to do that now. To do it now. And receive his forgiveness. Receive his eternal life. Because the opposite is is, is devastating, eternal separation and destruction. So receive your king, joy to the world. Now, the song goes on more than just about receiving a king. It talks about singing with heaven and nature. In verse 1 it says, in heaven and nature sing. There's a lot about nature in this Christmas carol. In verse 2 it says, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, they repeat sounding joy. Even nature brings glory to God is what this song, uh, this song is communicating. When Watts wrote this song, he was very intuitive into the idea of what the biblical idea of that even nature cries out glory to God. It, it, it's seen that in the scriptures, in Romans, in, in Psalms, it talks about how the, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so when we sing joy to the world, we receive our king, but we sing with heaven and nature. Nature has always played a a significant role in God's plan. Even in just the story that we just read, it was a star that led the wise men to Jesus, was it not? So nature, sing with nature, heaven and nature. Isaiah 55, I love Isaiah 55. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What is the prophet Isaiah saying there? Is he saying they're literally going to clap hands, that they're going to form hands and clap them? Of course not. 
This is a rhetorical device that brings metaphor, that brings anthropomorphisms into inanimate objects to show that God's glory isn't everywhere, though. The glory is in nature, and so we sing with nature. Psalm 98, Psalm 148 is also alludes to this. And remember the triumphal entry of Jesus. Remember when he was going into Jerusalem and Holy Week there when he's going, he's getting ready in that last Passover, but right before he's crucified. Remember as he entered into Jerusalem. Remember as he's on the, 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 the colt's back. Remember as he's going in. Remember the disciples that they're, they're singing praises to him. The disciples are saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Remember that the disciples are saying this and the crowd is saying this. Do you remember who was around there? It was the Pharisees. Do you remember what they said? The Pharisees said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop because they knew what they were saying. They were saying that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Pharisee says, no way. You need to rebuke your disciples. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I tell you, if these are silent, pointing to the disciples, he says, if these are silent, the very stones would cry out. Remember that? Heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. You have a king. Sing with heaven and nature. But the song doesn't stop there. It talks about glorying in his righteousness. But glory in his righteousness, we see this in verse 4 when it says, He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. My daughter and I were, were talking about this song last week, and, and she says, So what is this? The, 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 the glories, how's the song? It says, He makes the nations prove. And then she was like, what, What's that about? Because I said, well, that's in, in, in sometimes in poetry, there's an unfortunate break. He says, he proves what? The glories of his righteousness. That's what nature is proving. Or nation, excuse me, nations are proving. And so we glory in Jesus' righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's, it's this idea of being upright or in a right relationship. It's in accordance with God's law. It, God's righteousness means that he's eternally perfect and that the standard, he is the perfect standard of what is right. And so how is it that, that the birth of Jesus Christ should cause us to glory in righteousness, in, in his righteousness, in Jesus' righteousness? Why should that be such a big deal to us? Well, I'll tell you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? Righteousness. The righteousness of God. This is why we glory in his righteousness that joy to the world tells us to do. It's because it's only through Christ that we can have his righteousness applied to us. Romans chapter 5. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. This is talking about Adam when he sinned and brought sin into the world. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so the one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Joy to the world. Glory in his righteousness. That's what this season is about. And then verse 4 ends with, in wonders of his love. Do we wonder of the love of God? Do we wonder about Jesus' love? First John says this. It says, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, 
see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Wonder of his love. You see, this is one of the things I love about joy to the world, is that it it causes us to, to reflect, even again, even though it's a very familiar song, it causes us to reflect on the wonder of his love and all the ramifications of it. The wonders of his love. First Peter chapter 3 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, w- that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Joy to the world. Jesus reigns. We can wonder in his love. We can glory in his righteousness. We sing with heaven and nature. We receive our King. It says in, in, the, in that first song, in first verse of the song, let every heart prepare him room. So there's the question. Does Jesus have your heart? What does he mean by that? What does the song mean? Does he have you? Do, do you receive him as your Lord and Savior? Embrace Jesus as Lord. Let him determine your life's priorities, actions, and values. As we said, one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we can't wait for that day. So get started now. So, joy to the world. Jesus reigns. But there's one more thing. Joy to the world. Jesus transforms. He transforms. In 1919, there's a baseball player by the name of Babe Ruth who was sold to the New York Yankees from, uh, from the Boston Red Sox for $100,000. At that time, insane amounts of money in professional sports. Prior to that, Boston had won five of the first 15 World Series titles in Major League Baseball history. Babe Ruth was part of three of those five championships. After the trade, the Yankees went on to win four World Series with Ruth and another 22 before the close of the 20th century. Whereas the Red Sox, they only appeared in the World Series four times, 1946, 1967, 1975, and 1986. And each of those four times, they lost the best of seven games on the seventh game in the World Series. It was the 1986 World Series when a fielding error cost the Red Sox game six, where they could have won and won the World Series, Force of Game 7 that they lost, and lost, it was 1987, that the curse of the Bambino was born. That was his name. His nickname was the Bambino. So the curse of the Bambino was born. Now, I remember Red Sox fans, for years I lived in uh, Rhode Island for three years, so New England. I was around a lot of Red Sox fans uh, in, uh, you know, 2002 to, like, 2005. And I remember I remember in you know, those early 2000s, uh, them talking about this curse. And maybe you'll remember some of this. And maybe if there's any Cubs fans here, you, you, you're, you have a, a similar thing here. They did many things to try to reverse the curse, uh, several things. One was they, they, several fans, they staged an exorcism outside of Fenway Park. Um, but the curse was finally broken in 2004 when the Red Sox won the World Series after falling behind in the series three games to none, and they came back and won. And therefore, the 
curse was reversed. I remember them talking about that. Now, remove, removing a curse seems like a fairy tale. Just when we look at it, we laugh. Like there's no such thing as a true curse and all that stuff. And we laugh about it, and it seems like a fairy tale. And most of the time, such an idea is just that. However, Jesus, when he came, he came to reverse a curse. And this song, Joy to the World, talks about that. It talks about that. It talks about the transforming, that he will transform nature. This is what verse 3 is about. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. So in many ways, this song is not about the first advent. It's actually about the second advent. When Jesus Christ comes back and sets all things right, and there's no more sin, there's no more sorrow, there's no more thorns, there's no more thistles, and all of nature is restored and put into right, and put is what is right. And so the curse of sin is reversed, because that's what Jesus does, is he is come to reverse the curse he's come to transform. And one day he's going to reverse all of this. Nor thorns to infest the ground. And those of you who are gardeners in this congregation right now are longing for that day. Longing for that day. Romans chapter 8 says this. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Second Peter chapter 3 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus, when he came, what we're singing about, joy to the world, he came back, he set into motion where he will come back and restore all things and, and transform all things. And nature will be restored. And I can't wait for that day. Joy to the world. But not only that, that's in the future. What is he doing now? Well, he's transforming believers right now. That's what he is doing right now. In verse 3 of Joy to the World, no more let sin and sorrows grow. Do you realize that in Christ, that he is in this process of making us more like himself and that we're growing. We're not going to reach perfection on this side of eternity, but we're growing. And the things, the sins that gripped us, they no longer grip us over time. Because this is what Jesus did, joy to the world. I love hearing stories and talking with people who, who, in fact, I just had a conversation last week with someone who we were reflecting on their background and we were reflecting on how God has changed them over the years. Joy to the world. Jesus transforms believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That word sanctification there has the idea of our growing in Christ and becoming more like him. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Joy to the world. Jesus transforms. And he can transform no matter where you're at in life, no matter what sin has gripped you, no matter where you are at, Jesus is the answer. Joy to the world. This is why Romans says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world 
But what? Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that has been a mind that is set on Christ, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how would I summarize this as I bring you to a close? Joy to the world. Jesus reigns to transform. And this is what we sing about. We sing about this. We sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. So how has Christ changed your life? How is he changing your life? That's a question you want to wrestle with. Is he making you a better person each day? And how do you know that? Just remember, he came to reverse the curse. 